0: the issue for today is problems with insurance reimbursement throughout the country nurses in advanced practice are complaining about reduction in reimbursement rates differing rules for reimbursement of nurse entrepreneurs as opposed to nurse employees or the obstacles insurers place to um, nurse con- credentials. building on the escalating problem in Washington State we will spend this hour talking about the issues and about options to address this issue through the State Insurance Commission and other sources. Let's start with Bob discussing some of the issues they're having in Washington State.
1: Thanks, Wendy. The biggest issue that we're having right now, which is a new change as of March 1st, is Primera, Blue Cross, um, has decided to, across the board, reduce our reimbursement to primarily nurse practitioner but also physician assistant practices Not the large practices, not the practices in conjunction with hospitals, but the smaller practices by how they set the criteria. Not only are they reducing our reimbursement by 15% for our E&M codes, but they're also reducing our reimbursement for the codes such as reimbursement for IUD costs. So we're buying IUDs at a cost of, say, $700. We're being reimbursed 15% less than what it costs us. The same with immunizations would be being reimbursed at less than it costs us. Um, We've been unable to get any legislative um, help with this other than um, one legislator who did convene a discussion with Primera uh, when we first got notified of this. Primera is not willing to change what they're doing. We have tried to talk to them. We're not getting anywhere predictably. And we have complaints and concerns coming in from across the state from all the nurse practitioners that this is happening to. We don't have any other groups that are doing this, although several years ago, Aetna, in a move that was celebrated across the country, um, opened their doors to nurse practitioners at 85% reimbursement. In Washington, we mourned that because our reimbursement dropped 15% as a result of that. We lost a battle some years ago with Regents. Uh, they reimburse us at 95% of what positions are being reimbursed. Uh, they say that our usual and customary fees just happen to equal 95% of what the docs charge. An interesting statistical occurrence. Uh, so that's the quick summary of what's going on in Washington State.
0: Okay. Tom, hit the star six to unmute yourself.
2: Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm Tom Hampton, and as Wendy mentioned, I am um, currently I work for uh, SNR Denton, a law firm in, in Washington, D.C. Um, I spent 15 years prior to um, coming here three years ago um, in the insurance department as both the deputy commissioner and insurance commissioner. And know a lot about these issues, and I want to. And my background is I'm a CPA, and um, have um, has a, a master's in business administration. So, but I want to focus on a couple of issues um, and try to address some of the concerns that we just mentioned in, in the initial dialogue. Um, everyone knows the. Um, Affordable Care Act is, is coming pretty quickly down the pike. Uh, most states are going to um, they they going to first dry run on their exchanges again in October of this month, this year, October 2013. And the majority of the provisions in the Affordable Care Act come on in
1: 2014.
2: Um, I'm saying that to say this: a lot of the companies are trying to find ways to. Reduce costs, and the uh, part of the Affordable Care Act was a requirement that um, the companies try to underwrite to a medical loss ratio of 85% for individuals and 80% um, on small groups. And in doing so, they tried to reduce costs of the for provided, both on the doctors and the nurses' side as well. Um, in terms of how you can address this particular concern that's happening in Washington, and I'm assuming it's happening across the whole country and uh, other states as well. It it may be um, beneficial, Um, I know just a little dialogue about Washington State and going to the Commissioner with a complaint. One of the things that I did when I was Commissioner that um, I think Commissioner Crider would be um, interested in, he's the Washington State Commissioner, was I put both the nurse practitioners in the association um, or the the healthcare providers in DC. companies were had a uh, they were using administrative costs of um, right now it's only fifteen percent had to be administrative and eighty five percent had to be cost in, in the in the premium dollar that goes to um, helping patients. So before doctors uh, were paying in a neighborhood of I mean the insurance companies were paying sixty percent of their premium and forty percent was going to administrative costs and the A C A Kind of uh, eliminated that requirement. So now they're pushing more dollars to go towards um, medical costs uh, to helping patients, but in doing so, they start squeezing folks, um, the people that they were reimbursing, because the insurance companies is going to get their profit. They're not going to squeeze their profit, so they try to squeeze everybody else. And they squeeze the agents and brokers who were producing the business, start squeezing the providers. So squeezing the hospital. So it's you know, it's their thought that, you know, we got to use all of our monies uh to focus on medical costs. We're gonna eliminate anything and everything, uh, first that's not a part of medical and then we're gonna squeeze medical. Well,
0: uh, uh um Bob, have, has has the have the nursing associations met with the insurance commissioner about this?
1: We have, um, we have a series of complaints going in there. Unfortunately, in Washington State, the insurance commissioner's office um, is not really involved with provider insurance company complaints. Um, they are consumer insurance company complaints, um, but they've already declined with the regents case to get involved with that. Um, and while they're sympathetic, the rules in Washington don't allow them Um, to get involved with the provider side. What
0: about, have you talked directly with the commissioner, though?
1: Yes, actually, one of his um, top assistants was at the meeting with Primera and the legislator. Um, And we have been working with them um, because they said that, you know, it won't hurt to file a bunch of complaints against the company. There may be something we can try to do. They're sympathetic, um, but their hands are kind of tied at the moment. And and
2: can I this this time? And I understand exactly what you're saying because the way the complaint laws are are drafted is is focused on the insurance companies uh, providing the service that the insured, the policyholder, kind of contracted for, and they have less focus on the providers. Uh, But do Washington State have a uh, prop pay type of law?
1: I don't know what that is.
2: Well, they have a law throughout the different countries. I mean, throughout the country, where states and District of Columbia has enacted it, which requires companies to pay providers uh, in a certain period of time. Because providers were complaining about um, companies waiting 90 days, 120 days before they got paid, so they we established what you call a Prop Pay Act, uh-huh. which required them to be paid in a particular. Um, you know, paid promptly within 30 days of a a valid claim, a valid bill being submitted to the insurance company, so between 30 and 45 days, so companies, I mean, providers can get their money. And we use that law to focus in on provider issues. So, um, yes, your current complaints in in Washington have enacted that it will be difficult to deal with these types of issues. But we try to find ways to, to tie uh, providers' issues to the to the uh, PromPay Act.
0: Um, um, Tom, also now, when the insurance companies come in um, to have their is it an annual review or biannual review? Have you used that as an opportunity to look at issues um, related to um, um, providers and not just consumer issues?
2: Well, they come in, um, well, insurance companies have their financial records examined. Uh, they have annual audits that come in, and then the state and the department, the insurance regulatory agencies uh, review them once every three years, and they look at both their operations as well as their financial practices and, and, and other information. Um, no, because the assumption is if the insurance companies are complying with their contractual obligations to the providers and and we don't really get involved in it because it's two parties in a contract. I okay. think so I think though the key is some of the modifications that were being discussed in, in the first in the uh, the opening dialogue about changes to the provider rate were these and were these provider rate changes uh, a part of the contract because that's when we got involved and in, in, uh, had big discussions with the insurance company
0: so Bob were they a part of the contract, contract? with the ins- with the um, nurse practitioners
1: well they were made part of the contract they sent out a letter saying we're changing our reimbursement policy um, and as of March 1st we're giving you 90 days notice or so um, you're going to be reimbursed at 50, uh, 85 percent of the position usual and customary. Well, did that change? Is well, that the way that that they
0: normally change their policies that's That's the question. Or did they do a something policy different
1: like this ever before I don't know
2: Well, okay. I think one the things is it would be good to um, have have research is whether it's a provision within your contract which gives them the right to change the provider rate. And oh, I'm sure there is. Well, they have to most time when they have these provisions and uh, the contract and I know they can do it. But majority of the time, they give you the ability to, um, to push back some information back to them saying that it can't be changed.
0: Exactly. And then they, they
2: have an arbitrator that goes through and, and deal with your side of the story versus their side of
1: the story. That they didn't do. They just pushed it out as this will change, period. Right, yeah. So, no,
0: so that might be another option right there because they should have given you uh, uh, an opportunity to respond to the rates
1: we, we happened. we're trying to build a case that it was arbitrary and not allowing us uh the option to negotiate well, right. have
0: you all looked back then to see if they did this with other um with other providers i e when they changed the rate for physician providers, how did they provide them with notice, and were they given the opportunity to negotiate and submit information?
1: Hard to get that information because, of course, they cover this all with secrecy um, requests. Um, and any practice who shares this information um, is subject to termination from their contract. <laughs>
0: but, but now, but don't they have to file all these notices with the insurance commission, uh, 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 Tom?
2: Not the notice that they're dealing with their providers. No, oh, they don't have because I was no, going to say
0: I'd do a for you and try to get it backhanded, that
2: yeah, way. yeah, but that's what it that's what the um, you know that's that's you know that's just their business practices, and that's interesting that they would put that kind of restriction on on the ability to, to share even with a a regulator if not with someone else. Can I ask one other question? um, of I know you've looked at the state insurance agency and work through the legislature, which usually takes two to three years to get done, and and that's just such an elongated process. Have, have you looked at um, providing information or have the National Nurses Association provide information to HHS? And HHS right now is in Washington has been focused on increasing the number of uh, I would call them primary care providers in the marketplace, and if they see situations where um, that you know they have a, a situation where it's a possibility that based on some reduction in rate or based on some practice that's being done by insurance companies, it, it could have an effect of reducing the number of providers in the in a particular marketplace. Yeah, I believe that they would be concerned, and. Um, Dealing with HHS is is much more beneficial than dealing with the state department. And even though I'm a I'm a big advocate of state insurance, <laughs> it's just the way it works because they can go and um, do pretty much eat it down to the insurance companies and don't necessarily have to deal with um, some of the, the issues that state departments have to deal with other the insurance companies. So maybe I'm
1: sorry. That's a wonderful suggestion. We, it had never occurred to us to go to HHS. Right, because they are
2: focused right now, and I've dealt with them on a lot of issues. They have been focused on um, making sure that um, they get more providers out here because they're not, I mean, there's so many more folks that's going to get into the marketplace and they're going to need, you know, qualified providers, especially nurses, to get more involved. So to have that reduced and say they're going to be, you know, short. You
0: know, shorting your revenue sources. Uh, I don't think that's something that they will want to deal with, the they would force it. Now, do you envision, uh, uh, Bob, that uh, or have they indicated that there are going to be any mergers or consolidations of insurance companies out in um, Washington State?
1: We haven't, any th- we haven't seen anything to suggest insurance companies are going to merge. Um, I don't expect Primera to go down. They have over a billion dollars in surpluses above and beyond um, what they need to cover claims. They were one of three insurance companies, them, Regents, and uh, Group Health, Cooperative, oddly enough, um, that have an excess amount of money.
0: Is uh, Primera part of, of the Blues?
1: Yep. No, Primera and Regents, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, are split in Washington State. Oh. Uh-huh. They're two separate entities. So it's it's part of a national network, but it's not Blue Cross Blue Shield.
0: Okay, but it it is, no, I asked the question because the Blues have gotten preferential treatment in various states, and the state tends to negotiate with them, and so they have to provide back some of their um, profits in some states. But more importantly is that when they do mergers and consolidations, then they have to um, deal with certain issues. And, Tom, I've used that as an opportunity to get them to negotiate favorably with advanced practice nurses. And we were able to effectively do that in uh, Rhode Island and I think it was Arkansas.
2: Yeah, I think what you've done is when they... (laughs) Most of these food plants now are trying to convert to um, mutuals or for-profit. And, and during that particular transitionary period, they'll be willing to do in and everything to get it approved because it's funding and money to the management and the offices of the company. So they'd be happy to do things that they probably wouldn't have done before. I think this Primera is already a for-profit, if I'm understanding this accurately. Okay. Uh, and I know they have Aetna. Um, Edna's a big player in, mm-hmm. in the state of Washington as well. So, um, so it shouldn't be because you only have, I think, one, two, three major health insurance players in the Washington market. Um, it, it's probably a situation where um, if you can't get, um, I would say, expedited um, resolution from the Washington Insurance Department. Um, I definitely would be trying to knock um, on, have people knock on some doors in, in Washington and try to let them know what's happening.
0: Exactly.
2: Where would you go at HHS? Which part of it?
0: I'll send,
2: of I'll send, I'll um, send, they have an office uh, of, bear with me a second, but they have an office that's handling the, what I call the, um, the Affordable Care Act implementation. Yeah, they, have, they actually have set up a whole. Um, they
0: have a, whole a whole
2: department to do yeah, uh-huh. this. It's amazing how many people working on this, but um, and obviously they focused a lot now on the changes in, in in the statutes from you know things like um, making sure all policies. Um, and in have that
0: department, no- they have some people who focus directly on insurance because they're working on the health insurance exchange. Right. They're working on making sure that insurance companies comply with this um, loss ratio rate as well, and they're working on implementation of essential benefits. So it's, it's that entity, and we'll get that name for you.
2: But The name of the organization, I'm just putting it up, is called okay. um, it's HHS, and it's the Center for Consumer Information and Insurance Oversight. Yeah, they're the ones that put out regulations on what the policy forms going to look like, like Wendy says, how the health insurance exchange going to operate, what's going on in the provider communities and things like that, because they got to make sure that once they put these exchanges up and deal with these other issues, that it's going to have people that's going to be out there to provide services. One of the biggest concerns that that's been brought forth by uh, somebody of the complainants of or some of the people who have been um, adversary to the establishment of the ACA is you don't have enough providers out here so to to, to deal with this increase this big influctuation of people that's gonna be need help um, services. So we definitely need to let them know that this can be a problem and, and see what they say. And they can put out a regulation and they've done it in the past that can deal with some of these issues that kind of... Um, uh, the word the is too strong, but they kind of um, override a lot of the state insurance laws.
0: Okay. Um, uh, are there any questions out there for the two presenters at this time? If so, hit your star six and unmute. And... Um, share your name and where you're from and your questions.
1: I have a... This is Bob. um, Okay. And This is a general information thing. Some of our practices, actually all of our practices when they were asked to look at the uh, letters that we got from the insurance company found QR codes on there uh, with numbers embedded in them. We believe, although we have no way of being certain, but we believe that they can be traced back to the individual practices so that if you were to distribute that document without redacting the QR code, um, they could come back at you. Just a heads up for the rest of the world. Um, There were two numbers. One was a QR code and the other was a very tiny, about six-point font, uh, numeric code that was written down the right side of the letter.
3: I got a question for Bob. It's Mimi. Okay. Hey, Mimi. Hi, Bob. Did the insurance company not notify you of the the billing changes?
1: Oh no, they reimbursement the changes. They sent us out a notification about four months in advance saying this is going to happen. Wow. There, there was no discussion. There was no um, negotiation. There was just this is what's going to happen.
3: So you can't even cover your costs for these devices and services. Correct. Mm. Seems to me like a great argument for a major dispute.
0: It does. I was thinking about, too, that in Washington, not yet, no, in Oregon, when they did this, um, um, Susan King negotiated with them for almost two years before the legislation was introduced and and whoever the insurance companies were there they were very um uh uh recalcitrant and determined not to um provide equity and it was only when she was able to get the legislation introduced that
3: um they addressed this is this only happening for entrepreneur nurse practitioners that are in independent practice
1: no it is actually happening for any nurse practitioner Um, in a small practice rather than one that's in a group practice or a hospital practice. Mm. So our colleagues who are employed by physicians are also being hit by this decrease. However, what we don't know is whether the devices and the immunizations and other supplies that are being paid for will be dropped for that group. It's too early. We are just getting data in. Mm. Okay. Well,
3: thanks. Good luck sounds
2: horrible. It's going to be an interesting experience. Bob, this is Tom. I'm, uh, I'm sorry.
3: Go ahead. Go, ahead, Tom. Go ahead, Tom. All I
2: want to tell Bob is make sure you, and it appears that you have been, make sure you stick together because insurance companies want to divide and conquer.
1: Oh, absolutely.
2: And and it's good that you are sticking together. And even some of those thought processes on um Providing information to each other, and they're going to, you know, they're going to drop you with all, all tantamount on them saying, um, "I'm trying to divide and conquer these guys," and, and as long as you don't talk, you don't know what's going on
1: out there. So I'm glad that you guys are working together. This is, yeah. this is Barbara. I've seen that behavior before. Unfortunately, uh, the divide and conquer. We're going to try to avoid that.
4: This is Barbara. I have a couple of questions.
1: Hey, Barbara, ask away.
4: Hi. Hi, Bob. First of all, um, I was unaware of the small versus large practices. How are they defining larger group practices versus the small practice?
1: Um, they, They describe it in terms of how you're contracting. So if you have large group contracts, it doesn't affect you because the group contract supposedly covers it. If you work with a hospital system, and if you work in, urgent, in an urgent care system, it doesn't cover you. Um, mental health agencies, not individual mental health providers, but agencies um, are also exempted.
4: So in a practice then with, say, three or four providers, it, if they're individually contracted, even then they're going to be affected, but if they're a group contract?
1: No, even with a small group contract that um, has been... Uh, what they've done. It appears that it needs to be one of those large contracts with a large network to get any benefit. We actually haven't, we don't have good penetration into the business offices of the large uh, contracting organizations. So we really can't answer the question of whether they've decreased their reimbursement as well. We know that with small group contracts they've decreased it. With individual contracts they've decreased it.
4: Okay. All right. And I just thought I'd throw out as an aside, as you were saying, about Tamera's just sitting on so many. They just picked up um, Amazon.com as the exclusive carrier for their employees. Mm. Oh, I'm in <laughs> So my, my other question, Tom, I didn't get the name of the um, Health and Human Services Department. Center for Consumer Information, and then it, you said something
2: else? It's the Office uh of, let me see, can we get it? Center for Consumer Information and Insurance Oversight. And
5: insurance. Thank you. You're welcome. Hi, this is Gretchen Brandon. I would have a question for Tom, please. Go right ahead. Thank you. Uh, Tom, I have a question. If uh, You mentioned HHS and and kind of this, concern around, of course, increasing the number of primary care providers in the marketplace and that if there are um, regulations or legislation that's coming forward to in any way impede that, that there's some interest. Here in the district, um, at Children's National, we employ nurse practitioners both in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. And one of the things that we've been faced with recently is the Medicaid letters of attestation from the different states that would allow a higher reimbursement for the provision of primary care services by providers, but because our nurse practitioners, um, actually specifically in the district where we have some of our primary care sites, practice autonomously, they're in an incident too and they're not directly supervised, they're not going to be eligible uh, for this. And we've had some of our physicians, I've been involved with our finance department and with many of our physicians at this point because our physicians who are so supportive of the NP role in our economy are saying that this is really kind of a, um, this decision is kind of pitting NP autonomy against organizational revenue. And, and tell care tell really me different.
0: more, why, why are they not eligible if they are practicing individually?
5: Because um, the final rule specified that the services um needed to be provided, and please correct me, those of you on the line who, who mm-hmm. may have documents or, or be more aware, but um, that the the services needed to be provided under the by those practitioners who work under the personal supervision of a qualifying physician and meaning also that the physician would be legally liable for the quality of the services provided. So perhaps in an incident two model of billing this might work. but we have many independently practicing nurse mm-hmm. practitioners who serve, I would say, in some of our primary care sites, 90% of our patients are enrolled in Medicaid, and, and we have a very high volume, uh, or I should say, a very productive group of nurse practitioners who currently see these patients, and so the physicians are now, you know, kind of challenging. Should we be hiring physicians here instead if this is going to be uh, impacting our bottom line for liability
0: okay, um, what I will do um is that I'm going to call uh, the um uh, general counsel at the um at c m s because he's a friend okay. and ask them about i have yeah I, gretchen i have friends all over the place they will tell you this so yeah fantastic and uh, i'm gonna ask him about this because um because um, now I wrote this original, I wrote the original legislation for D.C. And so uh-huh. I know they can practice independently, but I didn't know that they still had to do the attestation, especially since um, uh, health care reform. I
1: believe and because it was put in at the very end, um, and it came, of course, from the medical association. Okay. Right.
2: Okay. Let me just say something too, Wendy. check with DC too, because if I'm not mistaken, this might be um, something that on DC, it's a DC statute. I heard this before, but I also heard some states that doesn't have this requirement. So
0: yeah, and so that's what, yeah, I can check with turnage about that too. Yeah, okay.
2: maybe a DC requirement.
0: Okay, I'll check with him about it first before I c- I um, call my friend in the, right. gen- who's the general counsel. Okay, thank All you right. so
5: much. Because our staff we've actually um the staff have been asked to sign attestation letters from Virginia as well and they're not able to because we don't have that sort of model care delivery. We have very independently practicing groups. Exactly. Okay. And we
1: understand that 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 is also the case in Washington State. We believe it's national as opposed to local. Okay. okay.
0: Well and when I ask and I go if I go to um if I have to go at the CMS I ask him about nationally about why is this attestation needed when there's independent practice. Yes, because they are supposed exactly. to follow the state's um, direction, and especially since health care reform, they are not supposed to put up any barriers. there's a provision that they're not supposed to put any barriers that will limit practice.
1: Oh, but this is not a barrier. This is a way to give extra money to those practices that have an extra level of support. No, uh, uh-uh. uh, no. Pages?
0: You know that's not it. But the thing <laughs> is that, don't worry. We, 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 we will ask the
2: question. I, I, Wendy, I and either we'll,
0: online or next month, we'll discuss it.
2: Wait, this, this is time to make one small point because I, <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I, I understand what what uh, Bob was was the statement he's making. I think he's um, I think the deal is in this situation, a lot of uh, people want to I think tax to the doctors doing the certification because they have um that malpractice um, medical malpractice and I think nurses have the same but I know they, they do
0: have that's just it they have oh, their own oh medical they, malpractice.
2: Oh, this it, it makes no sense in that's the scenario because I know most of the medical malpractice writers who I used to deal with all the time, um one of their complaints was they wanted to make sure that everyone was being seen by some doctor so that they can um, at least that he had some kind of responsibility for it, but um, yeah, no. But the, nurses the nurses have the nurses have, have, the have, have to have malpractice
0: medical malpractice, malpractice insurance as well. That so
2: doesn't make any sense. Then,
5: mm-hmm. all right. Thank you, thank you for the contribution of those questions. And um, Wendy, I will follow up with you. If That's all right with you? That would be great. Of course, that's not a problem at all. Mhm. Okay.
0: Are there any other questions right now? All right, if not, then before we get off the line, I just wanted to remind you all of um, the fact that next month we're going to have Donna Ray Richardson on, and she's going to talk about international trends in advanced practice, specifically in um, the EU um, community. They are looking at standardizing the curriculum for advanced practice nurses so that they can move across country lines. And um, it is an exciting uh, concept because hopefully this standardization will eventually impact us um, throughout the uh, world. In uh, June, my friend and my former colleague Mary Jean Schumann who is the executive director of the Nursing Alliance for Quality Care, a Mm -hmm. partnership among the nation's leading nursing organizations and consumer groups to advance the highest quality, safety, and value of consumer-centered health care for all individuals and patients, will um, join us to discuss ACOs and medical homes and other delivery models being designed. Mm -hmm. And she's going to talk about those that facilitate versus those that do not facilitate advanced nursing practice. And we're going to talk about some of the advocacy options that are out there to get places um, like medical homes to better utilize advanced practice nurses. And that's in June. In July, another friend of mine, God bless him, Howard Solins. He's a principal at Oberkalers Health Group, and he is a veteran of the complex world of healthcare law, a field in which he is recognized as one of the top lawyers by such services as Best Lawyers in America, Chambers, and Super Lawyers. His experience, which stretches over three decades, includes matters involving federal and state regulations. Medicare, Medicaid, and other reimbursement structuring on business transactions and contracts, licensing, survey, and certification, certificate of need, fraud and abuse, corporate compliance, and e-health and technology. Prior to joining the firm, Howard served as an assistant attorney general for the Maryland Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. He is a past chair of the Maryland State Bar Association's health law section, and he is married to a nurse practitioner. Howard will speak to us about Medicare, Medicaid fraud and abuse, and Howard and I have worked on um, cases with nurse practitioners who have been, um, have been charged with um, Medicare fraud. And so I wanted him to speak to you all about some of the issues and how to better protect yourselves from um, allegations and charges associated with um, fraud and abuse. So those are what's happening in the next three months, and uh, I'll be excited um, about what's happening in the fall, but I'm working on getting a confirmation, so I can't tell you right now, but it's something really, really, really exciting. And I'm really, oh, I'm very pleased about it. Also, in the interim, I have submitted an application so that we can get continuing education credit for the cause as well. And um, and I should hear back about it no later than um, July, is my understanding, because it has to go through the process at a state nurse association. But should we get um our um continuing education credit then I thought it would be helpful for um for you all because then we can certify you for your continuing education and that can you know you can use that towards your licensure requirement. And um before we um get off the phone just really quickly, um main um they um, they got the FTC opinion, which was very specific about um, the um, state putting up barriers to practice. There is legislation out in the universe in West Virginia where they're trying to get it adopted to address um, barriers. Um, to uh, practice. They're not as successful even though they've gotten a the Federal Trade Commission opinion. Um, and part of the problem is that there's a doctor who chairs the uh, committee that um, is responsible for the bill. And um, legislation has been introduced in, uh, I'm just, I'm trying to think, New Jersey and in Kentucky to expand scope of practice. Those are the current pieces that are out there above and beyond the 11 states that are going to go back in and try to change their scope. And uh, before I leave, I want to mention that in the state of uh, Mississippi, the uh, docs have adopted rules which will um try to um well which are if they are they have adopted the rules they're supposed to um become they're supposed to come into effect shortly and those will mandate um a certain number of um uh, a limitation on the number of uh, nurses a doc can um supervise, quote unquote. Also, um they have changed the distance requirements in those um, in those in that in those rules, which will make it harder for nurses to get supervising physicians. And in some instances, they will have to change their supervising positions. I put um, copies of the article about these rules on um, my Facebook page in case you want to look at the article and or talk with some of your friends down in Mississippi, but it's really wrecking havoc on the way they have practiced and it's trying to change future practices. Um, And I'm not quite sure what they are going to do, but I thought it was something that you needed to be aware of occurring out there in the universe. The... um, The challenges to barriers of practice are not going to go away, but instead they're going to become um, more refined and sophisticated because um, what we're dealing with are are financial battles as well. Um, We talk about quality of care and we talk about shortage, but on the other end there are folk out in the universe, in particular docs, who are seeing it as a, ba- a battle associated with the income that they will and they will be able to produce, and they are going to reach out any and every way possible and try to retain their ability to um, to to be revenue generators. So, as we address these issues, know that these these battles are going to continue until. The uh, paradigm truly shifts. It is in the process, and we're in the process of evolution. But they will exist, and it's all the more reason for us to come together at least once a month and just talk about it. So So uh, with that, I would say thank you for joining me. I hope you come back next month, bring a friend with you. As you can tell, we're trying to um, structure the calls to address your immediate needs. If there's an immediate need and we have not placed it in our queue to address it, let us know so that we can follow up with you. We would love to help you, and we want to work with you. And before I go, I want to thank my friends Bob and Tom for doing this for me. I appreciate you all, and I appreciate you uh, sharing with the Advanced Practice Community your knowledge and your information on the subject. It's invaluable to have the ability to talk one-on-one with people and get information, and you've given us that opportunity. And I thank you so very much for that.
1: Oh, you're very welcome.
0: Yeah. With that,
3: thank you, Wendy.
0: Thank Thank you, you, Bob and Tom.
3: Thank you, everyone.
0: Yeah, thank Thank you, everybody, and we'll talk next month. Take
3: care.
5: Good to meet everyone.
4: Okay. Thank you, everybody. Wendy, I'm going to send you an email. Please do. Thanks. Bye. Bye.